So there was a study done on lab rats where they separated them into three groups. The first group of rats were given access to cocaine to use whenever they wanted it. The second group was forced to take cocaine only when their partner rat in the first group chose to do it. And the third group of rats, they were living the sober life. No cocaine for them at all. Now, as you might guess, doing drugs is bad, okay? The rats that didn't take cocaine lived longer on average than the rats that did. However, the rats in the first group that pretty much had the straw up their nose all the time didn't fare all that badly in comparison. It was the rats in the second group, the ones that did the drug but didn't have control over when, that fared the worst. Now, they've done other studies, including elderly patients in a retirement home. No, they did not give them cocaine, settle down. Uh, But what they did do is break them into two groups. One group of people had more control over the seemingly trivial things in life, like which movies to watch on the weekend, which plants to grow in their rooms. And it turns out those people lived far longer than those who didn't have control. So for my type A control freaks, you are lit up right now. High-fiving yourself. Yes! The more I can control life, the longer I'm going to live, Dan. Slow down. Not so fast. You see, not all control is created equal. And there is a certain type of control that we chase that actually prolongs suffering, increases stress, and reduces the quality of our lives. Coming up this week, I'm going to help you differentiate between good control and bad control. And I'm going to share the only five things in your life that you truly have control over. Welcome to episode 125 of Life Amplified. My name is Dan Mason. In 2012, I was overweight, getting divorced, battling depression, and feeling trapped in a career where I was successful but bored and unfulfilled. And it's actually the greatest gift I've ever been given. I used my pain as a springboard to discover my life's purpose. Now, I want to share the same tools and strategies which help transform my life with you. So you can live Life Amplified. All human beings are pretty much genetically hardwired to want to have a sense of control in our life. When we feel control, we have a greater sense of certainty, which helps us avoid pain. It helps us avoid suffering. But the problem is, ultimately, is that so much of the things we try to control are just an illusion. And I think that that's really been driven home for a lot of people in 2020, where the things that we think we're in control of turns out not so much. You can't control a global pandemic when we're fighting an enemy that we can't even see with our eyes. As some of those quote-unquote stable, dependable corporate jobs have disappeared in a time of the economy, there has been a tremendous loss of control. And with so many mandates for masks, for shutdowns, for working at home, the control that we feel over our day-to-day lives has gone out the window as people are trying to juggle the responsibility of being an effective remote employee while also helping their kids remote learn. And there's all this anxiety about, am I doing enough? Am I focusing my time in the right places? And that lack of control has really affected people's mental health this year. And for many clients who come to me, They perceive the thing that they have the least control over is their own emotions, their own thought, and their own fear. You know, we think that our emotions just sort of overtake us and take control and keep us paralyzed from moving forward. 
And the irony is, is that the more we feel that loss of internal control, the more we try to control the external environment, mostly uh, the people in our lives. And as you've probably experienced, as you've gotten into political debates with your family over the course of 2020, people don't like to be controlled very much. They don't like to be told how to think, how to act, or what they should do. You know, when I look back over the course of the last year, two of the most frustrated groups who come to me for coaching are people who are corporate employees and oftentimes parents. Because when we are focusing our control externally and trying to manipulate the situations and the people in our lives creates a lot of suffering because as much as kids and bosses don't have much in common, there's a significant age gap, the one thing that they do have in common is they're both difficult to control and they tend to do as they please, (laughs) which, you know, for the type A control freak, that creates a lot of pain. There's a lot of anxiety in that. How many people are like, if my boss would just change this, I would enjoy my job more. Hey, if my kids would just behave, you know, if my kids would act this certain way, then I would be happier. And therein lies the struggle for so many people. If your blueprint for happiness is based in how the external world is showing up and how other people act, your happiness will be forever cheap. You're never going to be able to hang on to it for too long. You might be able to manipulate your spouse or your children to behave a certain way that you want or to give you the answer that you want. But then the minute you get in your car and somebody cuts you off on the road and life isn't conforming to your blueprint, you immediately go back to anger. And when you look at the research that's been done, the more need that we have to control the external factors in our life, the lower success that we experience. Bosses with a high need for control tend to surround themselves with a lot of yes people and people who just sign off and you know say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, this is the right plan. You're, you're always right. And what that tends to do is reduce the quality of decision making when somebody cannot be challenged. Being a type A control freak is also associated with being stubborn, which will also negatively affect the quality of decision making. So very quickly this week, I'll just give you the basic formula for peace and the basic formula for suffering. (laughs) The formula for suffering is trying to control circumstances outside of yourself and blowing that up and making it really big and important in your life. The recipe for peace is to actually shift your focus of control and really control what's happening within you internally. If you focus on the things directly in your sphere of influence, you'll have more peace, you'll have greater success and more fulfillment. So this week is all about really focusing on internal control, which is different from the typical way that we would think of self-control. Self-control is a lot about sticking to a goal. It's about getting up in the morning and going to the gym. Well, back in the days when gyms were open, whew, 2019 was a hell of a year, wasn't it? Uh, But, you know, it's getting up and committing to that morning exercise or the meditation practice. It's having the willpower to stay on track with what you value. And in many times, that's changing a behavior. It's staying away and not eating the cake or the donuts or not smoking the cigarette. Internal control is not self-control. What we're really talking about today is getting control over your thoughts, your feelings, and the meaning that you assign to the circumstances that you bump up against in life. And I'm speaking to you from experience because this need for control of the outside world, it's something that I fall into like many others. 
One of my former employees who used to work for me in the radio world actually sent me a picture message of an old memo that I had written for my staff in 2007. And as I looked at the memo, I mean, it was very strongly worded and we were having some internal problems. So I was having to play the boss card and crack down. But as I read the memo, I was like, oh my God, like it just reeked of control freak. <laughs> like, it was just me trying to micromanage some of my employees. And on the whole, you know, I was very lucky that I had good relationships with most of the people who worked for me over the years. I always struggled managing up. I wasn't really great at authority. But as I read this memo, I was like, oh my God. I was like, I would not have wanted to work for me back in 2007. And you know what? It shows up in being an entrepreneur as well. You know, there are so many times in my business, you know, not so much in this podcast, but when you know, we're creating Facebook marketing materials and advertisements, or you're creating free PDFs and some of those things where people give you their email address to opt in. There's so many moving pieces to all that. You need the right image for the Facebook ad. You need the right copy, the right headline. And then when people click through, you need to have, you know, just the perfect image and the right copy and the right design on that landing page to get it to convert. And there are so many times that, you know, you put in all this work into planning things out. But the thing that's out of your control when you release any product into the market is what will the market do with it? And will people find the value in it enough to give you their email and allow you to market to them? And sometimes these things take off and they do awesome. And sometimes, you know, I've put programs and I put offers out there over the last five years that fall right on their face. The thing is, for me, is so much I internalize it and I feel like if I just control this or if I control the team and get them to act a certain way, I'm going to get different results. And boy... That's just a frustrating way to live. So, you know, the opposite of being a type A control freak, you know, is being in a place of surrender and acceptance. And you can certainly go back uh, a couple months ago. We did an episode about how you succeed more through the art of surrender. And it really is an art form. It's not like a step-by-step -by -step process. But what I want to do today... We're not going to rehash that material. I just want to get back and really give you the five things. And I believe, you know, as I really spent some time prepping this episode, these are the only five things that you're truly, truly in control of in your life. All the other control externally is an illusion. But here is what is directly in your control. And I think if you just focus on these five things for the next 30 days – you're actually going to experience such a sense of relief and such a sense of peace. And I dare say you might even enjoy the holiday season. How much do, the, do those control freak issues come up around Thanksgiving and Christmas when you're trying to control the family and who sits where? And especially during a pandemic, who's coming to your house and who's not? And what time are people getting up and how is everybody acting? Take a deep breath. Let's focus on these five things, starting with number one. Uh, what you can control internally is what you let into your mind. You can control your internal environment. The people who I know who have struggled the most in 2020 have been the people who have just lived attached to cable news and stuck on social media. 
You know, that is that just consuming all these articles and some of them aren't even fact checked. And so many of them are coming from politically slanted websites that have an agenda and they just get so infuriated and spent, you know, hours Probably days if you aggregate in total the amount of time that they've tried to get into these pointless arguments online. And it's just leaking power because you've experienced it. You're never going to control other people's opinions or their political leaning or what they believe. And in the age of being connected 24-7, it's almost harder to get away from. You know, so many of us are a slave to that red dot on the Facebook app on our phone. So the minute that it goes off, you know, we just get in there and we start having to scroll. You know, what I've done at a couple points this year is just remove the Facebook app off my phone. That way, when there's no red dot, I'm not tempted to answer it. Uh, you know, I just went through an experiment in my own life. One of my coaches suggested to me, you know, just as a way of getting centered and really tapping into my own intuition and, and not getting caught up in overthinking, he gave me an exercise where I had to sit in silence for four hours. Now, this was not meditation. This wasn't a closed eye process. It was just sitting with no outside distraction, not speaking out loud, not letting my dog lay in my lap where I could be distracted by that, and just spending time alone with my thoughts. And the mistake that I made when I did this exercise is I just turned my phone to mute rather than put it in airplane mode. And man, I got about the first hour and a half into the silence. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes you realize how hard it is just to be alone with your own thoughts, you know, because things are racing everywhere and you start getting antsy. And especially if you're a person who thinks your value is in doing and accomplishing and checking more things off the to-do list, it is a really difficult exercise. I, I suggest you try it sometime here over the holidays. If things slow down, find a four-hour block where you can just sit alone in silence. No music in the background, no anything. But the one thing that kept happening is that phone kept buzzing. There'd be another notification. There'd be an Instagram DM. There would be a buzz every time an email came in. And boy, the mind starts wandering. Oh, God. Well, what if I'm missing out on a client who wants to work with me? Or, or what if there's something going on with the marketing campaign we're doing with the team and I've got to answer right now? Or, you know, when there was about four buzzes in a row, you start thinking and catastrophizing. What am I got? What if there's an emergency? What if somebody I know is sick? What if, what if I'm not there to answer the phone? And I'll be honest, the first time I tried this, I whiffed. I, I blew the assignment. After 90 minutes, I was right back in the phone. <laughs> So it kills our productivity when it comes to work also. So the more that you can set aside some time uh, for screen-free time just to do focused work on the tasks that matter, the more that you can establish some quiet where you're not living at the mercy of that cell phone or living at the expectations of the mercy of the outside world, the more it is to your benefit one of the greatest high-performance hacks that's out there, that if you look at any of the high-performance research over the last 25 years, if you can start scheduling your day into focused 50-minute work blocks, right? If you turn down all distractions, you close the apps off your, uh, off your tabs on your laptop, you put the phone away, and you just work for 50 minutes continuously, and then no matter where you're at with the work after 50 minutes, you take a 15-minute break. 
you get up. Like back in the days when we were all working in the office, you could walk around the office, you could mingle at home, you could get up, you could stretch, you could have a glass of water, you could check in with your kids. But we really want to start to be more mindful about controlling the environment and what we let into our mind. And two of the biggest distractions for people this year are the news and the cell phone. So the more that you can distance yourself, and if you're in a situation where you can responsibly get outside, I know many of us are dealing with shutdown orders again, but if you can get outside, take a quick walk, get some fresh air. You know, I'm fortunate that I live here in California where the weather's still nice, and I'm able to take advantage of that while still being socially distanced. I realize that's not necessarily something everybody has the ability to do, depending on where you're listening. But getting outside is a great way to reduce that stress and just to do a quick mental reset. So that's tip number one. What you're in control of is what you let into your mind. Tip number two, it's not going to be surprising. It's something we've talked about before, but you can control who you associate with. There is so much research that lets on and says that we can catch other people's emotional states. Our brain, our nervous system is designed to sync up when we associate with other people. So you probably had the experience where you've been in a great mood, you're having a wonderful day, and then you talk to your friend who's just perpetually miserable and complaining and the sun never shines on their side of the street. And what do you want to do? You want to be a good friend, you want to empathize, but you walk away from that interaction and you're like, Jesus, like, why am I in a bad mood now? Our nervous systems are actually designed to calibrate to the people that we spend the most time with. So what does this mean for you? You have to be able to set boundaries with difficult people in your life. You want to avoid some of those problematic online interactions that we spoke about earlier. Also be mindful, where are there group think pressure situations in your life where people might be pressuring you or leaning on you to think or behave in ways that are out of alignment for you? So much of what the 12-step process is designed to do in addiction recovery is that people learn to replace the substance that they're addicted to with high quality co-regulation with like-minded people. So it becomes so important that you find your people, find you know the friends, the families, the communities that encourage you, that nurture your talents. And by the way, this doesn't mean that you're surrounding with people who just tell you how great you are if you're behaving like an idiot. You need the people that will still give you tough love and give you a reality check when you need that as well. And I know that this is a difficult thing for so many people because sometimes those negative people in our lives, uh, the ones who – it's not just that they're having a bad day or a bad week. You know, They've been having a bad year, <laughs> a bad decade. Sometimes those are our childhood friends. Sometimes those are our spouses. Sometimes those are our parents. So I'm not advocating that you shut those people out entirely. It's not that you need to just cut people out of your life. There are times, even in my life, where I've had to do that, that that's been beneficial. But it really is about finding your tribe and finding your community. I think that that's why so many of my group coaching programs 
that I've done this year uh, that I've really focused on have been extraordinary containers for healing for people. You know, people have made lifelong friendships with individuals that they've never even met in person. They just know them from the group. But there's something so powerful about really surrounding yourself with people who believe what you believe. Step number three in terms of taking more ownership and the things that you can truly control in your life, man, this is a big one. And this is the one that most people think that they can't control. Your emotions, stories, and beliefs. Your stories shape your destiny, right? Your stories and your beliefs shape your identity in terms of how you perceive yourself. And how many times in coaching applications do I come across people who say, well, Dan, it's too late for me to make a change. I'm too old. Or I can't make a living doing what I really love. I'm not worthy of love. Uh, There was a woman on my Instagram recently who had responded, and I got into like a little mini coaching with her on one of the threads. You know, here's a woman who recognized she's been in a 17-year marriage that she needs to leave. She's been, there's been some infidelity issues. There's clearly a lack of trust. She doesn't feel safe. But she was in a story that it's selfish for me to leave this marriage uh, when I'm going to break up the family for my children. And, of course, anybody who's grown up in a toxic home where there's a dysregulated relationship between the parents, you know the worst thing is actually being subjected to all the arguing and the hostile environments every day and living with that tension. But that was a story that's keeping her stuck. And when we're in these limiting beliefs that I can't leave, that I don't have power, I can't choose – that I have no ability to change my career, my life, my relationship, my finances, my body, we're just giving away all of our power. And that's one of the things I really think you need to consider is where in your life are you being driven by the unconscious emotions, fear, sadness, worry, because all of those low vibe emotions, they deplete our energy and it really just creates a sense of doom. It creates overwhelm. And then what happens is we don't even show up to try to make change, which is the one way that you can guarantee failure in your life is when you just don't even have the power, uh, when you don't realize that you have the power and you just stay in a state of learned helplessness. So next time you find yourself uh, in that internal conflict, feeling anxious, and you catch yourself in a story about, well, I can't make a living doing what I really love – You have to check in and you have to question that and start to ask yourself, is that really 100% true? Do I know for certain that it's true? And how do I know that it's true? You know, if it were impossible for somebody to change lanes and pivot in their career and pursue a dream after age 40, there would never be any of these inspiring movies that get made about people who rise up and do the impossible. People are like, well, you know, I can't change my life right now because I have kids, so therefore I can't take a risk. But if that were the case, that you can't have kids and be successful, how do you explain the people like Sheryl Sandberg of the world who who managed to find that balance between being super – you know, at the highest levels of success while also being a mother? So you want to start to take inventory and where can you find evidence that proves the story wrong? At that point, then you can start to, uh, to get yourself into reality and not living 
from the automatic condition responses. And, you know, we talk a lot about uh, your childhood attachment and sort of like the signature phrase for so many of those attachment styles. If you're a person with anxious attachment, your core story at the end of the day reverts back to, well, I can want, but I can't have. I can want to make more money, but that's not for me. I can't have it. I can want to have more love, but nope, can't have it. You know, And then for those of you with avoidant attachment, who were, you cried out as a kid and nobody showed up for you, a lot of those people just believe, well, whatever it is I want, I have to do it myself. I can't be supported. I can't ask for help. You know, most of the people who come to me who turn down the opportunity for coaching when we do an enrollment call are people with avoidant attachment. It is hard for them to allow in that support when it's the exact thing that they need to help them, A, overcome that pattern, and B, move in the direction of their goals. The fourth thing that you are in control of in your life, and I would suggest these are the only five things you're in control of, how quickly you make a decision. Where are the places in your life where you've thought about leaving a career or starting a business or leaving a relationship but you have just sort of gone in circles for years debating about how to do it and what is the perfect plan, you know? And then what happens is is you make no decision at all. But the thing is, making no decision is still a decision. I forget who originated the quote. It's on the tip of my tongue, but there was the person who said people lose more to indecision than they do to making a wrong decision. The thing is, is if you make a wrong decision, you can pivot and you have the opportunity to choose again. When you're making no decision, you're stagnant. You're in inertia. Nothing moves. Nothing changes. And such an important point, I think this is one of the key takeaways on the podcast for those of you who've been indecisive about where you want to go in your life in 2021. Taking action does not require 100% certainty. (sighs) Let that sink in for a minute. How would you release yourself of anxiety and self-judgment if you could truly just work from a place of knowing that taking action doesn't require 100% certainty. That even if you take action and it's not the perfect plan, that you can pivot and you can always choose again. Now, why don't we subscribe to this model? What keeps us stuck? More often than not, it's perfectionism that drives it. People believe if they make the wrong decision, then they are wrong. And if they are wrong, therefore, they should live in shame and guilt. But at some point, you are going to find yourself at a fork in the road where you have to decide, am I attached to creating a, quote, perfect outcome? Or am I committed to doing the thing that I feel called to do? And perfectionism is a huge form of control, but not in a healthy way. When you are stuck attached to perfect outcomes, you're trying to control what can't be controlled. And actually, you're trying so hard to be in control that you're out of control. So wherever you've been on the fence and just going in circles and staying stuck, just make a choice. Make a decision. You can always go back and clean it up later. The fifth and final thing I want to share with you today about what is really in your control It's your ability to speak your truth. So many people feel out of control about what they can say, how much they can share themselves. It holds people back uh, from ever really achieving self-expression in their career, 
in the workplace, in their creative pursuits. It keeps people from building more intimacy in relationships because we are so afraid to speak up. I get it. It's all rooted in childhood trauma and you know your unique attachment and trauma patterns. But when we talk about attachment, the real goal is if you are anxious or if you're avoidant, it's to live in secure attachment, which means I can speak my truth and it's okay. And I'm not responsible for what other people do with that truth. Now, big caveat here in a place where uh, your own coach in the past has blown it. Speaking your truth is not just emotionally taking a dump all over somebody and blaming them and telling them why they suck. <laughs> Anytime that you are in a place of blaming somebody or you're talking specifically about their behavior and what they need to change, you're already pretty much losing that conversation. This is about sharing your experience, what you're feeling, why it's important to you, what the source is of that hurt. And then on the back end, being able to ask for what it is that you want, you know, to ask for more time and presence from your partner, to ask for that pay raise at work, sometimes to ask for the time off or the sabbatical, you know, to ask to, to be able to say no to a project that doesn't serve you, to be able to say no to that friend who is the energy vampire, who is constantly sucking away your energy and it's taking your eye off the goals that you have in your life. So here's the thing. You are fully in control of how you speak your truth. You have zero control over what the other person does with that information. There may very well be times, and this just came up in a coaching call this week. Somebody's like, well, I don't want to hurt my mom if I speak the truth. See, you can't hurt anybody when you're speaking about your feelings and your experience. Now, you might upset them. I can't guarantee you won't do that, but that's not yours to hold. That's about them and the interpretation that they're giving to you speaking your truth. You know, that depends on if they're taking it personally or not. But the hardest part for people is knowing that, yes, I'm responsible for what I share. I'm not responsible for the other party's response, but I am 100% responsible for how I respond to the response. You know, so if you're carrying these old stories, you know, if we go all the way back to point number three about managing your stories, your beliefs, your emotions, if you've been carrying a belief that says, you know, when I speak up for myself, that it hurts other people or that I am wrong if I share who I am, well, what ends up happening is you share your truth. Somebody doesn't deal with it well because of their own trauma patterns. And then Depending on the meaning that you give it, you'll reinforce the story. Oh, there it is. People will leave me. I'll be abandoned. Love will be withheld if I share my truth. And man, the ego loves a good here we go again story. So we really just have to delineate what's yours to hold, what's not yours to hold. What's yours in any moment is speaking up about what's true for you. The other person's response, not yours to hold. How you respond to their response, again, that is all on you. And, and perhaps that one is the biggest trigger for people. Depending on what your history is, that can be the most difficult of the five steps to navigate. And especially when it comes to building awareness on our beliefs because we believe that our beliefs are true. And yet we know throughout history, there are many a times that we have had beliefs that have turned out not to be true. 
you know, there are people who used to believe that the earth was flat. Well, I guess that's actually a terrible example because there's still people today that believe in the flat earth theory. Uh, but there were people who once believed it was okay to segregate water fountains that, you know, white and black people should drink from different water fountains. We believed at one point that women should not have the right to vote. And if you think about it, 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 in the grand scheme of the timeline of humanity, these beliefs weren't that long ago. You know, it was just a handful of years ago that we believed that gay people shouldn't get married. But we can change a belief. A belief is only true for you because you've repeated the lie in your head so many times that you're attached to it. And what you're not realizing is, is that you have control, internal control, to change a belief. So that is my takeaways for you this week. This is really about changing your focus of control from the external to the internal. And what are the five things that you really have control over? You have control over what you let into your mind. You have control over who you choose to associate with. You do have control over your emotions, stories, and beliefs. And if you're having a hard time accepting that, or if you don't know how to take back control of that, it's a great time for you and I to connect and talk about some coaching here through the end of the year and into 2021. Uh, You have control over how quickly you make a decision and whether you make the decision at all. And number five, you have control over speaking your truth with love. I hope this message serves you today. It's really an important one that's been weighing on me and been showing up in a lot of coaching calls recently. So if it inspires you, if this is useful, could you do me a favor? Could you screenshot the podcast, upload it to Instagram or Twitter and share it with your community? Be sure to tag me at CSC Dan Mason. I would love to know your takeaways and what's really resonating for you. You can always shoot me a DM on the Instagram to share your thoughts as well. And uh, if you don't mind, if you could give us a follow here on the iHeartRadio app or uh, particularly for my friends on Apple, if you could leave those five-star ratings and reviews if you feel moved to do so. It certainly helps us with the algorithm and helps us get this message out to more people. If you're interested in some additional support, if you'd like to work one-on-one with me or you're interested in any of my group programs that we're going to have in 2021, you can reach out and hit me up. On uh, my website, creativesoulcoaching.net, there's information up there on how we can work together to create your next level in the coming year. I love you for listening. Thank you so much for being here, and I'll talk to you next week. In the meantime, turn down the volume on your negativity, turn up the volume on your purpose so you can live life amplified.